Welcome to No Ad, No Problem, a podcast devoted to college tennis and growing the game. Check us out on Twitter at JTweetsTennis and Instagram at No Ad, No Problem. I'm your host, John. Let's serve it up. Hey everyone, welcome back to a very busy time of the college tennis calendar as we are coming to you between the women's and men's ITA Indoor National Championships. On Monday, the Oklahoma State women earned their first ITA National Championship by beating Michigan 4-3 in the final in Seattle. And now the men's tournament begins on Friday in New York. Joining me to break down the men's indoor event, it's Ethan Moskowski. Ethan, welcome back. You ready for men's indoors? So ready. Yeah, this is now now it's like, you know, we're done with a lot of the early season formalities. It's time to get down to business. We're going to get some good non-conference play. Though <laughs> there's a lot of conference matches and then we'll get, you know, back into conference play and and get outdoors and sort of get that feeling of like, okay, we're doing this again, you know. The early season matches and this year, especially, we've seen so much chaos, but I feel like now indoors, conference play, orders restored, we're getting we're getting down to it. Well, the structure is restored, but we still might see a lot of chaos, which I'm expecting here at indoors. But yeah, we're three months out now from the NCAA kind of super regional weekend, probably around that May May 14th, May 15th time frame. I think that's when actually the team event in Stillwater really kicks off. So we are, um, this is the meat of the regular season. But before we dive into men's indoors, you skipped out on me last week. You didn't want to discuss the UVA results. That's what I told our listeners. But we haven't chatted on Mike about uh, the women's indoors. I was there in Seattle, but you were not. And so I'm curious to get your perspective, 30,000 foot view takeaway from women's indoors. What were your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think the number one thing, the biggest surprise, right, was the level of parity, right? I mean, we'd been texting about it, sort of talking about it. The idea that UNC was going to not win this event seemed incredibly far-fetched, much less have a losing record coming out of the event. So the the level of parity i think on the women's side it feels better now than it did a week ago uh we we'd previously spoken about has oklahoma state made a crazy gamble on their schedule and we'll never know because it paid off right mm-hmm. like you go there you win you win we'll find your- out in may i feel like yeah you know you you go there you win indoors which ult- ultimately like that's just you know, money in their pocket, right? Like they, now it, it changes the whole complexion of the season for them. The, the rankings are not a concern now for the rest of the year between the, the wins in Washington, but then the wins that they already had, had sort of banked going in, like they have probably what eight, what, like high quality wins. When we get to the computer ranking, they're going to be head and shoulders ahead of the competition. I think. Yeah. They're going to have two wins over the number two ranked team in the country. In the first well, computer ranking yeah, iteration. By the way, and what? Uh, they also have a win over... I mean, just, yeah, they have wins over, what, Pepperdine, Ohio State. Like, they, then those are all pre-event. The UCLA win's probably going to age well. Like, you know, Oklahoma State has set themselves up to be a top two seed, probably, at NCAAs, and it's February 14th. So, you know, for for them, I think mission accomplished. That's awesome. 
Uh, Michigan, yeah, I mean, it sort of feels like Michigan's had the second best indoor season, right? Like they put together a series of really good results, but they have the two losses to Oklahoma State. And that sort of is what it is. I think for them, it's still a it's still a successful event. Um, it was it was fun. It's fun when you have upsets and it feels like this year there were so many. And part of the reason why it feels like there are so many is because UNC lost twice, which is so crazy. And and yeah, for UNC, we spoke about this at the very beginning of the season, which is like, how are they going to handle being the defending national champions and and that for the first time? And, you know, obviously there's some injury concerns there now, but this for them could be a great thing, you know, like for, for Coach Calabas, especially like everyone has to get in line now. Like there's no, there's no more, well, but we're capable. Look at what we did last year, whatever. Like now everyone falls in line and you can begin to be a really structured, disciplined team again, if there was any absence of that going in. I mean, I know, I know Alex Gruskin posted a video of a pretty unique warmup. I'm not sure if I would endorse that sort of warmup. Uh, not that that's symbolic of anything going on at UNC, but uh, this will now sort of, take some of the pressure off for them, maybe restore some order internally, allows them to sort of refocus and reset their season. And and look, they came out ranked five in the country. They're going to be fine in the long run. This is not a moment for a referendum on on the UNC women. So ultimately, I thought it was a super fun event. Parody's good. I thought from from the look of it, the, the coverage was very good from what I could see. And it looked like there was a lot of really high quality tennis, which is sort of the best thing that you can you can ask for. Yeah, it was a crazy event seeing North Carolina lose twice. I mean, ever since I've seriously been starting to cover college tennis, but even just in the last four years, I mean, North Carolina was going for their fifth straight indoor title. And for them, so every year, it the question coming out of indoors has been, can they get the big one in May? That has been the question. And now leaving this event there i feel like way more questions than ever before because now it's well can oklahoma state hold on outdoors does north carolina get healthy is reese brantmeyer out for the whole season can michigan sustain this outdoors what does stanford look like outdoors like they look better indoors so there's so many questions they you know like uva pepperdine is always better outdoors than indoors Right. Like there's so many teams in the mix. If especially look, if UNC is going to be short a player the rest of the year, or if, if whatever has sort of gone wrong, can't get fixed. This is a super open season, right? Like yeah. we've been talking about this, which is like, wow, it really seems like this would be such an incredible year if everyone was if UNC was closer to everyone else's level. And for a while there, it just seemed like they were so head and shoulders clear of the pack. And now that sort of doesn't feel that way anymore and all of a sudden you're like how competitive is the acc gonna be like with with nc state uva and unc you're like are are nc state and uva real threats to to beat unc outdoors in the acc season what's gonna happen when nc state and uva play each other it's it the the sort of the the come down for unc from this is has opened the doors to a lot of different sort of storylines to follow for the rest of the season in a way that look, if you're, if you're on the UNC team sucks, but for everybody else, it's, it's kind of a lot of fun. So the, to me, the, the, this breathed new life into sort of the conversation about women's college tennis this year, uh, because it just seems like it's going to be more competitive than we might've thought. 
Yeah, certainly adds a ton of intrigue. And for more thoughts on the Michigan-Oklahoma State final, as well as some broader takeaways, specific players that really caught my eye, I'm going to release a solo pod tomorrow. So be on the lookout for that if you want more women's action. Let's turn our attention, though, to men's indoors. This event kicks off Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. It is hosted by Columbia University with their supporting partner, as the USTA. So, Ethan, we got this draw yesterday, and I want to get your reactions to the seeds, because unlike the women, they seed 1 through 16 for this event, and they draw them up 1 through 16. So the 1 seed plays the 16 seed, the 2 seed plays the 15 seed, and so on. So I will briefly go through our seeds. I want to get your reactions on if you think they got it right. We have number one, Ohio State, number two, TCU, number three, uh, Texas, number four, Virginia, number five, Tennessee, number six, Wake Forest, number seven, South Carolina, (laughs) number eight, Columbia, number nine, Harvard, number 10, Texas A&M, number 11, Michigan, number 12, USC, number 13, Duke, number 14, Arizona, number 15, Arizona State, and number 16, Alabama. Ethan, did they get the seeds right? I mean, I actually think roughly they did a pretty good job. And I say that in part because context matters a lot, right? We, we've had a couple of seasons in a row now where there have been some things in the seeding that make us really scratch our head and go like, what were they? What, what did they see that we didn't see that led to the seeding? This year, with the amount of chaos that's unraveled and the upsets, and this team beat that team, which beat that team who lost to this team, you know, like the amount of that that's gone on, I think that they did a a pretty decent job in terms of the sort of the structural understanding of what the ranking should look like. Uh, that said, I think there are some adjustments that you can make to the draw to avoid conference matchups that are fairly uncontroversial and. I think we might prefer it if they made those changes because we have three conference matchups in the first round, you know, and, and that leaves something to be desired. And literally you can change those. You can change four matches within a seed and not have any conference matchup. So I kind of wish that was the case, but yeah, structurally, I think they got, they really got most of it right. And, and in terms of you and I have spoken a lot about, uh, like draw integrity and, and making sure one side isn't significantly out of balance with the other. This one is way, this draws way better than what we've seen in the past couple of years. Like the to especially two years ago, the the last time the men were in Seattle, that one had no draw integrity. It was like the top half of the draw had all of the firepower and the bottom half of the draw was wide open. So I think they've done a really good job with this draw in terms of balancing the scales a little bit. I wish we could have avoided some some conference matchups, but in the grand scheme of things, this is pretty good, I think. Yeah, I think two things. One, if I challenge anyone to come up with their top 16 rankings right now, it is so hard. hard this early in the season. Normally, it's not this hard. And to your point, there's been a lot of transitive property where teams have beaten teams who have lost to other teams, and it is really challenging right now. It's one of the reasons I'm looking forward to this indoors so much is to get some sort of understanding of of who's where exactly and then the other thing is that 
We mentioned the men's indoors differs because they seed one through 16. They also do not do any avoidance of conference matchups. So you mentioned it. We are getting a Harvard versus Columbia matchup in the first round. We are getting a Duke versus Virginia matchup in the first round. And we are getting South Carolina versus Texas A&M. Those are all conference matchups. Ethan, to your point, had they swapped a number nine Harvard and a number 10 Texas A&M that would have avoided a lot of those conference matchups. Yeah. And by the way, that one and swapping uh, number 13 Duke and number 12 USC, right? You, you avoid conference matchups and no repeat matches as well. Duke and Tennessee haven't played UV and USC uh, haven't played. So it, there are little things like that, that they could have done. But like I said, I think, look, the, the seeding this year was incredibly difficult because it, I mean, UVA beat Texas and lost to South Carolina. Wake beat South Carolina, but Wake lost to Tennessee. Tennessee lost to Columbia, but Columbia lost to Wake. So you you had this string of teams in the middle of the field, like in the middle of the top half of the field, basically, that like you kind of could have put them in roughly any order um, and it would have been fine. Somebody was going to get sort of, in my view, someone was going to get a little bit of the tough go of it. And it, in my view, it's South Carolina is the one who probably could have been high. Like you could write an argument for South Carolina to be higher in this field. And because of the loss to wake, probably they, they really get sort of the short end of the stick. But, you know, like I said, the, maybe it's because there's that much parody. You go, Oh, the integrity of the draw in terms of the balance of power is actually pretty good because there's been a lot of chaos and teams have lost a lot for this point in the season, actually. So it's uh, it, I think it's a good draw. So, Ethan, not only are you our in-house counsel here at No Ad No Problem, you're also a native New Yorker. And so I want to get your thoughts here on this event being back in New York. It's been, I think, like 14 years since indoors has been in New York. Now, for a long time, they had the what the indoor individual well, championships. Fall Nats. I mean, Fall Nationals used to be the indoor fall nationals. Right. And they used to be at Billie Jean King as well in Nova. It was usually like right after right before Thanksgiving, right? It was like the the week before Thanksgiving, I think. Yeah. And that I think that, that must that was definitely still there in like twenty I think seventeen. It might have twenty seventeen is 17, when I ended up leaving. Yeah. I think that's right. That sounds right. So we haven't really had any big collegiate events in New York. Curious to get your thoughts on the host location here being split between Columbia's brand new facility, which just opened up for this season, and the Billie Jean King Tennis Center. What can people, fans, players, and teams expect? Yeah, well, I think it's exciting to have it in just in a big city like this in general. I I think, I mean, you've seen some of the like marketing posts that the teams have put out. I know Wake put out a thing where it had their match time and instead of the Statue of Liberty, it had the Demon Deacon on it. Like it, there's just so much potential when you move and people did the like punch their ticket to the Big Apple, things like that. Like th- there's so much potential when you host an event like this in a big city. Like what same thing when we do it in Chicago as well. It 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 gets a little bit of of hype going about it, which I think is that's always good. Um I think the fact that you're doing it in a brand new facility, it sort of like christens the the Columbia facility is also great. I haven't been to the new Columbia facility. It, the pictures make it look great. I'm not sure how seating works there. I haven't seen pictures of seats. Um, it looks like basically standing room only with like yeah. a f- little rows of seats. But yeah. I have heard that potentially those pictures don't depict some like side seating that they might have. 
Yeah. So I think it's exciting to, to, like I said, to christen a new facility like that. I think it's awesome. I love the fact that we're hosting at a at a place with a school that would that would have qualified through kickoff. That's always been a real gripe of mine is like when we let a team into to indoors on the basis of they host when they don't deserve to be there necessarily. So I love that. The the one concern is the logistics of it all, right? Um, the Columbia facility is in the uppermost part of Manhattan, and that is nowhere near the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center. Um, I I think the Columbia facility was built to have the same courts as the National Tennis Center, so it's not like you're going to be necessarily like changing everything about everything, but. Just the geography of it can be quite complicated. I mean, TCU and Arizona State have a 9 a.m. match at the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center, which depending on where they're staying, which I assume, like, especially a team like TCU, who sort of knew they were going to qualify for indoors, like, if they're not staying close by, that's a really early wake-up call for, for those guys on that team. I mean, you have to get there. You need to be on court an hour before your match for your warm-up. Most guys want to have 45 minutes before that to do whatever off court warm up tape whatever it is and then you still need to like you know eat wake up eat breakfast maybe get a shower whatever it is so that's a really early wake up call for those guys if they're staying in Manhattan especially and they've got to commute out to to Queens on a work day i mean friday's a work day for new york so there's some logistic concerns like that um but otherwise i think it's look i think it's going to be exciting i hope that I haven't watched a match from the new Columbia facility online either. I don't know the video capability. I don't know what that's going to look like. I know that cracked rackets will be on the call. So I assume that is going to mitigate some of those concerns. I know Billy Jean King is fully armed with whatever streaming capabilities needed. So I don't have a ton of concern about that, but uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll sort of be interesting to see how it plays out. And um and yeah, to see if after, you know, we're not going to really hear the story about how complicated it is to deal with New York traffic until after the fact, growing, having grown up in New York and gone out to the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center a lot from Manhattan as a kid. Uh, it's a pain. So I'm sure there will be horror stories that we'll hear and go, oh, my God, that's that's such a pain. But, you know, uh, I like that Columbia took some onus on on having a lot of this being played at their facility, having the final be played at their facility. Billie Jean King obviously has the court capacity to host the whole thing. Um, but I like I I don't mind the keeping it at at a home school. And hopefully the fact that it's in New York and so many of these schools have alums in New York, you're going to get a big turnout. I know on the UVA side of things, the UVA in New York contingent has all the match times. I I don't think they can make Friday at 9 a.m. because they'll be working. But uh, certainly for the weekend, I think you're going to get a pretty awesome turnout really for all of these matches, which is awesome. That's that's the best case scenario. Yeah, that was the big thing I was going to bring up was just the alumni networks here in New York. Every single school should at least have a few, you would think, recent alums as well that are there working in the city that can stop by and, and make some noise and be kind of real college tennis fans. So it should have pretty good turnout. You're right. And it's also really fun for the players, especially for a lot of the non-Americans who maybe haven't been to a city like New York or Chicago and I mean, you just look at even Seattle, all the fun events that the women were able to do. And it's so much more accessible than like going to Madison, Wisconsin. And I, and look, I know that the University of Wisconsin has done a great job. I know the players actually liked indoors in Wisconsin. Like, I think the facility is great for it from what I've heard. But logistically, probably the easiest one because they have all the courts there. 
Yeah, but the difficulty is like if you if you have a series of fans who want it's much harder to get to Madison, Wisconsin for fans, for instance, than it is to get to New York. I mean, for really any of these schools, it's going to be so easy to get fans there if they want to travel in for it. You're going to have alumni there. I think this could be, you know, one of the first indoors where we really see that all really all 16 teams might have some real representation there in terms of fans. Normally, we don't see that. So, you know, that would be the best case scenario as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that would be exciting to see. So I'm sure the logistics will be tough. It would make going for a fan like myself very tough because there's no way I'm getting to Columbia to Billie Jean King in order to catch both of those matches. But let's dive into the draw and let's kick it off with number one, Ohio State playing 16 seed Alabama. This is the first time this Alabama team has made indoors since 2010. They did it on the merit of going to the Kentucky region and knocking off Kentucky. Kentucky being one of the top 16 ranked teams that is not here indoors. And they did it by winning doubles and sweeping one, two, and three all in three set matches. They have since then not lost a match, but they're facing an Ohio State team who comes in looking as dominant as ever as they do early in the season. But they haven't won indoors since 2019. It's been a while. No one on this Ohio State squad has won indoors. So, Ethan, what are your thoughts on this first round matchup? This one is at 3:30, played at Columbia. Yeah, I mean, we, I think we sort of this was one of the few, we talk about how much parity there was and like, oh, what are we going to do with the draw? I think we probably all saw Ohio State Alabama as sort of this this was going to be the 116 match. You know, it's going to be it's going to be uphill sledding for for Alabama. But I just think for them to to get back to indoors, they had a, they've had a rough couple of years and to get back to indoors, to do it by beating a conference rival on the road, a win that's aged really well, by the way, like, I I think it's awesome that Alabama's there. Uh, I I wouldn't expect much drama necessarily with this one, but uh, yeah, I think, I, I think it's just awesome that Alabama's there. Hopefully they coordinate, not both teams wearing red, I don't I don't know how that'll go. I always get a little bit worried with color color matchups. So hopefully hopefully the teams wear something different. So it's actually easy to tell which teams which. But yeah, I, I mean, are you asking me to make a pick? Yeah. Well, we, that, oh, sorry. That's what we're going to do. We're going to make picks for each of these first rounds and then we'll make overall predictions. Uh, Ohio State 4-0. Yeah, I mean, I, it, Alabama, hopefully they can make the match long. Maybe they can steal a doubles point. I have no idea. But the, the in all likelihood, yeah. Ohio State for zero. Yeah, I think that's the likely pick. I will say I think Ohio State is going to roll very quickly at four through six. But, you know, Philip Planensek at number one for Alabama, Enzo Aguiard at number two. Like, that's a decent top two that could hopefully hang. Those probably will not finish. But I think feel a doubles point, it, you know, they could make this match go on for a little bit. But in all likelihood, they can't. And uh, yeah, Ohio State, because I agree four through six. Ohio State, especially right now, it seems like four through six. Ohio State's just kind of on a different level than most of the field. So, yep. All right. So Ohio State gets through in that first round match, and they will face the winner of an all Ivy League battle between Harvard and Columbia. This match, night match, 630 p.m. there at Columbia. I expect a very good or I hope to have a very good crowd between these two teams. 
This is a Columbia team that just recently knocked off Tennessee in pretty dominant fashion. A lot of straight set matches for them over Tennessee, a Harvard team that I still don't really know what to make of this at this point in the season. They lost to Memphis. They just scraped by Louisville. Ethan, what do you make of this Ivy League matchup? Yeah, I think this is one of the more interesting. Ma- I mean, it's the eight nine. It should be the most interesting match. It. I, I think this is definitely one of the more interesting matches. The first thing is uh, the environment. I Columbia, I think, pretty regularly turns out a good crowd. And now it's a Friday night match. It's national indoors. You're playing your biggest rival at home. I I, I have a feeling this is going to be a pretty rowdy one. And and I think that's awesome. By the way, like Ivy League tennis is going to get really rowdy. I just think it's great. Um, both these two teams are two of the more confusing teams to me kind of in the country. And there's a couple of teams that I'm going to say that about, but these two are, are really good sort of baselines for that. I mean, Columbia wins a match against Tennessee looks great. Loses a match against wake looks kind of terrible. And those two teams are seated five and six. So you're like, well, they shouldn't be that different. Um, you know, so Columbia's had some some real level swings, and so has Harvard, right? Harvard's turned out great results as well, but then they've also thrown in a couple of matches that really leave you sort of scratching your head. Um, this is this is the hardest to predict first round match, I would say, and it should be. It's the eight nine, but uh, you know, I I think I lean Columbia just on the basis of them playing at home. I, you know, I could see this being a four three match and and home teams win a lot of four three matches. They win much more four three matches <laughs> than away teams do. Um, so I'm going to lean lean Columbia. But actually, you know what? I'll say whoever wins the doubles point wins. No one's winning four singles matches. That would be my my sort of guess here. They're, they're very similar. Like the two teams are structurally very similar. Well, one thing is that wake match was at wake and the Tennessee match was at home. And so it does seem like Columbia is playing much better at home. The big thing for this Columbia team is Rocco Horvat has not been in the lineup. I don't know if he's out for the season or haven't seen him in a while, but yeah, I, I think what you're referencing there and like structurally similar is they both have pretty strong number ones. We're going to get a rematch of Cooper Williams and Michael Zhang, which we saw in the Northeast indoor regional uh back in the fall don't forget i don't remember the round but this is going to be a good one i have to lean columbia i think their best level so far has looked better than harvard's best level that win over tennessee very impressive also happened again in columbia and yeah you have to lean the home team here hopefully a rowdy crowd i yeah i agree i'll 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 i was already on the fence leaning columbia but you've convinced me Okay. All right. Let's stay on this side of the draw. And this is our 512 matchup Tennessee versus USC. So, the Tennessee team that really pushed TCU, they had dual match points there, ultimately lost 4 3 in Fort Worth. And then they go on the road just to kind of gear up for indoors. They play that Columbia match and they lose that one. Don't look as good in that match, but they're facing a USC team who of all of these teams has far and away looked the worst over the past week and a half. I mean, they scraped by a kickoff weekend that they probably shouldn't have won. That San Diego team was in pole position to win that match. Let that get away from them. USC has now gone on the road without Stefan 
Destanish. Also, Oscar Waitman, one of their freshmen, has been in and out of the lineup. They lose to Oklahoma State 6-1. They lose to Baylor 4-0. Matches were not even close. It does not sound like Stefan Destanish will be playing indoors. Unclear about Oscar Waitman. Ethan, I think this match has to lean extremely heavily towards Tennessee. This USC team, for me, is on 0-3 watch. Yeah, I mean, I think these two teams are really interesting to me because how lucky is Tennessee that that Wake win has aged really well? I mean, Tennessee, look, they, they've played a competitive match with TCU. They have a win over Michigan. They have a win over Wake. So, that I mean, that's a good starting point. But, man, they they don't win against TCU, and they are, I mean, yeah, they win the Wake match, but if Wake doesn't turn around and beat South Carolina, beat Columbia, we might be sitting here kind of scratching our heads as to how good Tennessee is. Um, that said, Tennessee should win this match super routinely. I mean, the, this USC team's looked a mess. I mean, a, a mess, in, especially in the last you know week or whatever it's been. But this USC team, I have a lot of questions about. I think there was a strong argument to have them seated well lower than what they're seated. You know, I think the fact that Arizona in particular took Arizona took a loss to San Diego, right? Hmm. I'm pretty yeah. sure that probably bails USC out rather significantly. But yeah, this USC team, man, looks a long way from being competitive. And and yeah, I, I imagine we will see probably USC and Alabama to avoid going uh, going 0-3, and, and um, I'm not sure I could tell you which team would win right now between the two of them, and that is crazy to say. If we'd been saying that a month ago about USC, that would have been pretty bold then. So the USC team has a lot of sort of, I think, figuring things out to do. I I can't see this match being particularly competitive at all. I don't know. I think you and I were pretty harsh on USC coming into the season saying this potentially... We were harsh on UNC, but not you. Well, part of it's that Alabama's overperformed. If you, if we'd said at the outset of the season, Alabama and USC are going to play, what's the result going to be? We're both picking USC far and without question. And look, part of it is no, no, Stefan Dasenich seems to be the way USC is rolling right now with an injury. So that obviously changes the complexion of this USC team quite a lot. But yeah, I, I fear that this could be a pretty rough weekend for the boys. Uh, the boys on the USC team. Yeah, and I'm still looking to see more from Tennessee as well. So obviously, Johannes Monday has been great at number one. Shinsuke Mitsui losing two and one to Alex Kotzen was a big surprise. Some of their freshmen have looked very strong. So Philippe Pachanik and Philip Appletower have been pretty good for them. Jonas Lalami, the transfer from Old Dominion, has not been good. He lost three and yeah. one. To Max Westfall and he Angel Diaz. Him two to start the season. I know. He keeps moving down. Angel Diaz, probably not going to be his best indoors. So yeah, I don't know about this Tennessee team. I mean, I think they definitely get through this USC match, but I think they have a lot to prove. Uh and whether or not they are are they the best team in the SEC or is South Carolina the best team in the SEC, even with their injuries. So I think this match is pretty routine, but I think their second and third matches will be interesting for Tennessee. All right, that match is at 12 p.m., and they will face the winner of the 9 a.m. match, which is another all-conference match with two-time NCAA defending champion Virginia taking on Duke. 
These teams know each other quite well. They played three times last season. They played the regular season. They played the ACC championship final. And then they played in the round of 16 in the NCAAs. And this is certainly a Duke team that had scheduled the UVA regular season match on their calendar. They're getting it a little prematurely. It's been a weird season for both of these teams. You have a Duke team who... Feels confident in there, one through three, Garrett Johns, Pedro Rodinas, Andrew Zhang, but went on the road without Rodinas, lost to a Northwestern team who I'm not won like two or three matches this season so far. On the flip side, we've talked about this Virginia team. They went on the road, got the upset over Texas, outdoors, went indoors, turned into a pumpkin. And it's been rough sledding for them with either Chris Rodesh being out for Davis Cup and Yaki Montez not factoring into the singles lineup yet. Ethan, best person yeah. to walk me through this matchup. Do it. I mean, there's a lot going into this, right? Like this match, it, it, if there's one match that has a lot of baggage, this is the baggage match, right? Like, I mean, Harvard and Columbia have their thing, but like these two teams have baggage attached to them right now. Like, I, I don't think... Either team loves being indoors, right? Like, I, I think both of these teams are very much looking forward to being back outside. If you look at what happened to Duke last year with the exact same team, right? They sputtered around inside for quite a while. And then all of a sudden, the roof comes off and they're a top 15 team and look great and probably wind up underseeded at NCAAs because of their indoor season. You know, so, so Duke certainly is not thrilled necessarily about being inside UVA the only outdoor evidence that we have of UVA this year is going on the road and beating Texas without Inyaki in the lineup so they'd much rather be outside so yeah I think it's sort of a strange match I think it's two teams kind of coming in to play each other neither one of which have a ton of momentum um you know Duke has a win over Kentucky Kentucky had, had beaten UVA so there's that that little tidbit there um Duke beats Kentucky at Duke, UVA loses to Kentucky at Kentucky. It, you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting match. I think, you know, Duke has been calling for this one, so they're going to get what they want. Um, I think we obviously have the the big question hanging over is, you know, how are we going to see Inyaki Montez? If we do see Inyaki, what does he look like? Where in the lineup is he? Um, it's, it's an interesting match. This one is going to get pretty chippy, I think. Um, from what I know from some matches that went on in the fall between these two schools and what we saw at the end of their match at NCAAs last year, I don't think there's a lot of love lost between the two teams. Um, so if you want to like get yourself kind of adrenaline caffeined up for a 9 a.m. match on Friday, this one will probably give you fireworks. Um, I I mean, we know who I'm picking. I can, I can justify it as well. But yeah, I think, I think this match... This match kind of comes down to the fact that I think regardless of whether or not UVA has in Yaki Montez or not, I think Duke needs to win two of their three matches in the top three. I think that's still a tough task with UVA, regardless of whether or not whether or not in Yaki plays. I like Chris on court one in particular. Uh, I like the UVA doubles point as well. Um, and then you just look at four, five and six on both teams, neither of which have looked particularly outstanding. Um, but I think the matchups favor UVA. So I'm going to go UVA 4-1. I think, you know, it has the potential to have some score lines that are interesting. Uh, we, we're going to have matches left abandoned. It wouldn't be surprised if it wouldn't be surprised if, if Duke wins a match. But 
Um, yeah, UVA 4-1. Yeah, I think this match really comes down to four through six. Not that it will, like, the result might completely come down to it, but I just think for both of these teams, for their three, potentially four matches at indoors, they're going to be looking for those guys to step up. If you look at that Kentucky result for Duke, they got swept. They didn't win a set uh, four through six at Kentucky, a Kentucky team that right now isn't really known for its depth. And you look at the results from this UVA team, even experienced guys like Alex Kiefer and Mons Dahlberg have not looked that good indoors. And so you are looking for who steps up four through six for these teams, because right now Duke's been very reliant on that top three going indoors will certainly disadvantage someone like Pedro Rodinez. So I agree. I do think Virginia gets through this match, this match, I think. Relatively speaking, their doubles has looked fairly good, uh, surprisingly so. So, have... years past in particular, like they have yeah. a structured doubles point in February. Whoa, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think you, well, I mean, Rodesh. Well, so here's the interesting thing about Duke: which which lineup are we going to get from Duke? We know Zhang's playing three, right? But are we getting Rodinus and uh, on one and Garrett on two, or vice versa? Because I think it actually. I think there's a right way for Duke's lineup to be built to be or to, to be more competitive with this UVA team. And I think there's a wrong way for it to be built. I, I think with the fact that I'm pretty sure we're not going to see Inyaki Montez. And if we do, I don't think it's going to be on court two. Um, so you have two big guys because I believe Dylan Dietrich is going to be playing court two. You have two big guys on one and two. I think you want to have Garrett play the freshman. I don't think you want pedro to play a freshman with a great backhand by the way he's a pedro's a lefty dylan uses his backhand really aggressively uh, i think you'd much rather have garrett play play dylan and, and chris play pedro even if that means you know sacrificing pedro pedro's not known for his prowess indoors necessarily so you know i think there's th the matchups are going to be fairly in flux here but look we've seen the jeffrey Zhang match a number of times at this point We've seen Chris and Garrett a number of times at this point. We've seen the the matchups on five and six with Dahlberg and Kiefer and and Dale and uh, who actually, didn't play that Kentucky match though. I don't know if he's going to be in this lineup. So we just have both Krugs. Yeah, both Krugs, Krug and Dahlberg played once. They Duke had a rotating cast of characters on court six last year. So we've seen a lot of these matchups before, and they just they tend to lean UVA. And we shouldn't forget that excluding the very peculiar indoor, outdoor, indoor, outdoor, outdoor, indoor match that they played at NCAAs. When they played last year, the first meeting was at UVA and was indoors and UVA won 7-0. So there's, there's some evidence to suggest that lean UVA is, is the right way to go on this, but matches are going to be competitive. Like Garrett Johns doesn't lose uncompetitive matches. Pedro doesn't really lose uncompetitive matches. You know, like those are going to be interesting score lines. I just think if Duke's to win, it's going to be because they win doubles. It's going to be because they win two of the top three matches. I just, I, for as unreliable as the UVA back three has looked, the Duke back three has looked worse. Mm -hmm. So that would be a concern if I was if I was in charge of Duke right now. So you got to win doubles and you got to win two of the top three. And I just don't think there's much reason for optimism on courts one or three for Duke as of right now. I agree with that assessment, but I will say this about this Duke team. They want their shot. Oh, they hate UVA. They want that scalp so bad, but that's also part of it. For UVA, UVA loves that. Like that's the dynamic that's going to make this match so much fun to watch 
is the guys in the UVA locker room understand exactly how Duke feels. Because by the way, for a while, I mean, I was on these teams. We were that way. We wanted that Wake Forest scalp so badly for years and years. And we finally got it in, in, uh, in 20, what was that? 18, 19. So I, I get it. You know what I mean? And and those Duke guys are going to come out hunting for, for UVA, but ult- ultimately like the UVA guys know that they know what they know what the Duke team is going to come in looking to do. And, and they've been on the receiving end of it before. I mean, every time it seems like UVA plays Ohio state in particular in, uh, in February, the Ohio state guys come as if winning the match would give them the national title from the year prior. So they're, they're used to that, that feeling. It'll be very rowdy, chippy, feisty for a 9am match on a Friday. This one's going to have a lot of uh, extracurricular activity. I, I imagine. Yeah, and this Duke team's not going to get a better shot at UVA. They're indoors and without Inyaki Montez. So this is as good of a shot as this veteran Duke team will get against Virginia. So, all right, that is, we're both going Virginia in that match. That is your top half of the draw. Let's move down to the bottom half. We will start with number three, Texas, against number 14, Arizona. All of these matches are being played at the Billie Jean King National Tennis Center. And we've seen this Texas-Arizona matchup a few times in recent years. I think Arizona played them in Austin last year. This Arizona team that you referenced earlier hasn't looked maybe as good as we anticipated coming into the season, dropping that match to San Diego. Texas, their lone loss of the year coming early in the season against Virginia, but has looked okay sense i wouldn't say great they've had guys out of the lineup they've had you know wall deep out of the lineup and yeah exactly we've seen a lot of that across the board but ethan first matchup here indoors a texas team that actually plays more indoor tennis than you would expect certainly more than arizona what do you make of this one yeah i mean i think texas is going to get by fine i mean we've now you and i have sort of uh beaten the horse dead with our issues with their doubles point um And I think for Texas, a lot of how this tournament goes depends on how their doubles point is. I think, look, Texas's singles lineup is ridiculous. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And we've spoken about it a lot. Like who, what teams other than UVA and Ohio State have a guy sitting there on court four who feels like they can match up with PYB? Like the the Texas lineup is a joke. It, It really is. And the truth is, is that they've gotten the wins out of Micah and Elliot save the Chris Rodesh match, put that one to the side for a second. Elliot is still Elliot and Micah has looked great. So it's like that top four in particular for Texas is just a joke. Like it, it's absurd. I don't think Arizona is going to give them much trouble because I think Texas is going to win that doubles point. you know, I think for Texas, not to jump the gun here, Texas's first two matches to me should be routine. Like I, I don't look at, Texas's quarter of the draw and go, I see danger here for Texas. What'll be interesting is, is when they get to the semifinals, if they play a team like a TCU who has a great doubles point, you know, can, can that begin to create uh, an interesting match? If Texas is winning doubles points, they're going to be so hard to beat with that top four. I mean, it like you, you have to win two of those four matches. If you lose a doubles point to Texas, good luck. Like it, it's going to be really hard. So yeah, Arizona, I'd like to see Arizona look better and look competitive doubles point, but also in singles, right? Like they have the firepower to be able to hang with a team like Texas one through four. I'm not saying they're going to win three of those matches or two of those matches, but 
let's see some third sets. Let's see some level of competition here. Um, that that I think is sort of the best we can ask for. But Texas 4-0. Yeah, I agree. The other thing that's at a disadvantage for Arizona is they've not played a lot of matches. They've so had... Have they played indoors? No. Yeah. Uh, but they also haven't played that many matches. They're only four and one. They've had several matches canceled. They had their Baylor match canceled. They had their Pepperdine match February 4th canceled. They've played one match in February. And I think they have a little warm up match against St. John's today uh, as they gear up for indoors. But they have not really seen a level of Texas so far. They haven't been in super competitive matches other than their loss to San Diego. So and they also don't have a good doubles point yet. They lost a doubles point to San Diego. So I think this pretty heavily favors Texas. Again, assuming full health, uh, we've seen some guys that Texas team in and out of the lineup. But this is a Texas team that last year really took indoors by storm, really won a lot of their matches there. So we'll be looking to repeat their run to the finals. All right. They will. That match is at 3.30 p.m. They will face the winner of the 6.30 p.m. Michigan versus Wake Forest. So first off, Michigan being the 11 seed after losing their top three from last year. Pretty yeah, impressive. And coach. And, coach. Uh, and assistant coach. Like they lost everyone. For them, I mean, I thought it was really, I mean, and you look at the tumble that Georgia has taken, right? I mean, not well, good. Five of their top sure, but Michigan, I mean, that's, it was All a big, yeah. It was tough. And so they come in as the 11 seed. They faced a Wake Forest team who comes in as the sixth seed and a sneaky six. I mean, I think there's a lot of new faces on that Wake Forest team we're still getting to know. Michigan, they played TCU at home just before heading to New York. Kind of got rolled by TCU in that match. What do you make of this Wake-Michigan match? They both had interesting starts to the season. Yeah, I think this is one of those tale of two matches, right? Like, I think top three and bottom three skew completely different directions, right? Like, I, I to me, I look at the Michigan team and I go, look, that top three is very competitive, right? Like, that, that top three is competitive or capable of being competitive. That bottom three is probably not going to cut it against a top five team. The Wake team, meanwhile... If you just go back and look at their most recent result where they beat South Carolina, they win on court one in three sets. They lose four, two and four on court two and six and four on court three before. I mean, yeah, they went on four, five and six on four and six in in pretty not routine. Well, fairly routine straight sets, right? Like I, I look at this and I go. Michigan probably lean two and three. Wake lean four, five, and six for sure. One is interesting. I mean, Gavin Young and, and Filippo Maroney should be a very good match, actually. Yeah. Like, that should be a great Maroney's match. Maroney's lo- looked yeah. great. Maroney's looked great. Gavin Young had a great fall. And and look, it, Ga- I mean, Gavin Young is a couple points away. If he beats Joe Monday, we're talking about Michigan probably as a top nine seed, top eight seed. So, you know, the Michigan teams had moments where it's looked really close to winning this sort of match. For Michigan, I, I don't see how they get this done without a doubles point. Like I, I think they need a doubles point here to get this done. I can't I can't find four singles matches for Michigan. And even with a doubles point, I think it's gotta be doubles one, two, three. Like I 
you know, maybe they can steal a match on court four, but Tachi's actually looked pretty good so far. So it's, it's going to be tough for Michigan period. It's going to be really tough without a doubles point. I think this could be one of the more competitive matches of the day. I'm going to go wake, but like four two. Yeah, I do think this is going to be one of the more competitive ones. I think it's also going to be one of those matches where we'll still learn a lot about these teams. I think I don't know if Wake is the sixth best team in the country right now. They very well could be, but we'll be looking to find that out. And same thing with this Michigan team. Uh, You know, are they the 11th best team? Are they going to be better indoors than they are outdoors? But yeah, I think Wake has too many guys on this team. Too many options, right? Like, yeah. The thing about Wake, you go like, okay, if, if Young does beat Maroney, it's fine for like Wake can find other points. But the issue is like, if Young loses to Maroney, I don't know if Michigan can find a replacement. You know what I mean? Like, I think Michigan has a path. It's just very narrow. Yeah. I mean, Baker stuff has looked good, but also just, I mean, DK Suresh, I think he serves volleys often against Baker Seth. Like, that could be a really tricky matchup for them. So it's gonna. This is a tough one to predict, just because I feel like we don't know a ton about either of these teams right now, and I think these teams are still getting to know themselves as well. But I lean Wake. I think that they've surprisingly shown themselves to be at a pretty good level so far. All right, so that is your third quarter. Let's make our way down to the bottom quarter here. It is number seven, South Carolina, who has held on to a top eight seed despite having some tumultuous. Uh, results down the home stretch heading into indoors, dropping that match to NC State. They face number 10 seed Texas A&M. This is an all SEC battle. Texas A&M getting through the Georgia region, the beneficiary of Georgia losing five of their top six and not bringing in top two recruits. So certainly a rebuilding year for Georgia. I'm not sure how good this Texas A&M team is. This Texas A&M team, team is USC without the two bad losses, right? Like we we just it, look Texas A&M deserves a ten seed on the merit of they won the matches that they've needed to win. Like they, you know what I mean? They're, like they haven't done anything wrong, you know, besides maybe not create a super creative schedule. Right. I was gonna say they also haven't played. Yeah, they've just not played very much, and when they played, they've won. So it's sort of like who really knows what the deal is with Texas A&M. Alternatively, I mean, South Carolina and UVA this season, you can just feel these two teams are going to be tied together for like the entire year because not just because of the match, but also because they're dealing with the same issue. It's like if South Carolina could get Connor Thompson healthy and in the lineup, you just get the sense that the machine starts working the way it's supposed to. And instead, what you have is some days it works and some days it doesn't work. And the truth is when you're short, one of your best two players, your margins are very small. And when one guy has a bad day who you're used to having a good day, you lose, right? Like it it makes life very difficult when you're short, one of your best few players. And I think South Carolina is in that boat. The result from South Carolina that I cannot explain is what happened to them at Ohio State, because it was a complete reversal of what we've seen from South Carolina this year, which is like, the doubles is not good. Like the doubles is not competitive, particularly when Thompson's not there. The doubles is not competitive. And then the singles is pretty great, actually. Very competitive. 
they show up to Ohio State, they win the doubles point, and then they kind of lay an egg in, I mean, they literally lay an egg in singles, but they they don't look like themselves at all. They get run off the court on a couple of courts, and look, that's playing Ohio State and Columbus will do that to you. But yeah, I my big thing about this match is like, does South Carolina have any positive momentum? Like, you, you look at Duke beats Kentucky off of a couple losses. UVA beats Georgia off a couple losses. Like, does... Does South Carolina have any momentum pushing them in the right direction at this point? Or post-UVA win, it's kind of gone all awry for them. And, you know, can Thompson get healthy? Can what? There's a lot of questions about South Carolina. I think Texas A&M is a bit of a gift for them, even though they wound up getting the seven seed, because I think this is a really winnable match. You know, if they wind up with a different first-round opponent, I think South Carolina is probably pretty right to get picked off. But uh, I think South Carolina should win this match just on the merit of we've seen the singles. The singles is good. Like we know it's there. They might lose this doubles point and need to come up with four singles matches, which isn't sustainable in the long term. But it's hard for me to, to doubt South Carolina, especially with how well we've seen Toby Samuel play. You know, we've seen different guys step up at different moments and, and produce, you know, the necessary results. So I'm still going to go South Carolina, but like an ugly 4-1. Yeah, and we've seen other guys like you know, Sean Darbeji getting that win at UVA, certainly a marquee win. Casey Hewell has looked great at that number two spot. It's interesting. Who's the best team this Texas A&M squad has faced? Is it Georgia? Is it UCLA? It's also funny that the whole kickoff weekend is not on their schedule at all. It's like that win over Georgia for kickoff weekend just gone. But I think... On that merit alone, the fact that South Carolina has played a Virginia, has played a Ohio State, just like has been tested in that way. I think you have to lean South Carolina, and I agree with you. Definitely a gift. These two teams will play each other as well very shortly. Uh, March 3rd, their regular season matchup in the SEC. But I lean South Carolina. We've just seen them get tested a little bit more, play some higher level competition. That match at the USTA at noon. All right. Our final matchup here, 9 a.m., Billie Jean King National Tennis Center, number two, TCU, the two-time defending indoor champion versus number 15, Arizona State. Arizona State making their indoor debut. Never made ITA indoors before. I forgot to mention that for Arizona as well. So our two Arizona teams that are here at indoors, first time making it for both of them. So this TCU team, Two-time defending champion here at indoors. Hasn't played as difficult as an early season stretch. It looks like the way that they've structured their schedule this year, they've got a little bit more tougher schedule after indoors than previously. Those come before indoors. They just took on Michigan on the road. You know, they've got a really strong top four, although Gorsney has looked a little bit questionable over the past few matches but having Fernley slot in there at the number one spot after his great fall Jack Pennington making the fall final the fall nationals and Pedro Vivas all looking pretty solid there one through three taking on this Arizona State team who at the one and two spot will be able to be competitive against anyone Murphy Cassone made the final of All-American and then Bor Artnick in the running right now for best freshman uh, I think he's top 500 in the ATP singles ranking. So 
I think where things get a little bit tricky for this Arizona State team is the bottom half of that lineup, just whether they can keep that competitive four through six. How do you think this match shakes out our 9 a.m. kickoff at uh, USTA? Yeah, I mean, I think TCU wins in part because like TCU's doubles point is so worthy of trust at this point. Like they know how to run a doubles point. If there was ever a year for them to lose some some juice on the doubles point, it was this year having lost Jong and Famba. Oh, yeah. It really had like it really hasn't missed that much of a beat. You know, like it looks very good. It looks better than Arizona State's. And there there is a route for Arizona State, right? It's like you steal a doubles point, you win on one and two and you find another, right? Yeah. Like that's the route for sure. Which will be their calculus all season. Almost long. all season. Yeah, almost all season. And look, I think Arizona State looks a lot like the best team in the Pac-12 right now just uh, i don't know how the arizona arizona state match is going to unfold but like arizona state has a real formula because of how good the top two is i, I think tcu is probably too deep like tcu is too deep they're going to win too many matches and even with how good one and two are like artnick's not a lock to beat jack pennington jones like it, it, you know what I mean? against a lot of people you go oh like artnick's probably the favorite jack pennington jones I don't know if he's that much of a favorite. I don't know if he's a favorite, much less like a big favorite. So, you know, I think I think TCU wins. I think this gets dicey maybe on a couple of courts, but let's go with TCU for one. Yeah, maybe they drop one point here. I think, I think that... Mur- well, Murphy can play so fast. And by the way, so confirmedly, like both those guys can play really fast. If Murphy is a good day, Murphy will get off the court. For better or worse, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, all right, we're both picking TCU. Ethan, I think we have the same quarterfinal matchup. So we're just going to go through these uh, very quickly because I do want to make overall predictions. Ohio State versus Columbia. Ohio State. I think this is like sneaky oh. upset alert. Wow. Come on, Saturday, 3.30 p.m. at Columbia. Yeah. I'll t- okay, so I'll tell you what. Columbia has a route. They They do have a route. Right. Which is they're going to have to win on. They're going to have to win doubles. They're going to have to win one for sure. Yeah. I well, actually, is it Cannon or Boulay? I don't know. Okay. Either either way, Michael Zhang needs to win at one. Michael Zhang has to win. And then it's probably three and then maybe five or six. Right. Like that would be to me the route. Though, I mean, Alex Bernard on court six. It, I, can someone confirm if it's actually Alex? That's so ridiculous that he's playing Alex Bernard on court six. Alex Bernard quartered NCAAs last year. Yeah. Quartered, right? It's ridiculous. It's it's actually obscene. And we've given Ty a pass on his lineup because he hasn't changed it every single match. But it's so ridiculous that Alexander Bernard's I, playing court six. That one, I don't really have a problem with. Bernard looked not great this fall. Robert I, Cash is undefeated indoors, basically. Indoors, yeah, of course. But also, Ohio State has Ohio State played a road match yet this year? Um, I don't think so. Like, I don't think Ohio State's played outside of Columbus. So, but I thought they went on. Uh, maybe they're going on the road later. They're going on the road. After. I remember. Okay, I remember thinking like, "Oh, good for them." They're playing Texas in Texas. Uh, yes, that's true. Yeah, like you know, Robert Cash in Columbus is great, but so is everybody on that team. Everybody on that team is unbelievable in Columbus. That's why they're unbelievable in Columbus. It's like. I, I want to see it under a stress test. Sure. I don't think Columbia is necessarily good enough. Um, 
I they, just think there's a path. They have spots. You're you're right. They have spots, but it starts. They have to win a doubles point. They're not winning four singles matches against Ohio State. I don't think it's going to happen. But I, if this is like a four-three match, yeah. If this I, comes down to like a third set in New York, yeah, and everything's done, and it's just a third set to decide it. I would agree with you. Actually, I think Columbia can get this done. I just think the issue is the way Ohio State plays indoors. They blitz you in the first like hour, and then you sort of look up and you're like, "Oh, we're out of this match. It's over." And mm-hmm. I remember when we played Ohio State, the JJ Wolf team that last won indoors in 2019. It was like it felt super competitive, and then all of a sudden it was like, "Oh, the match is over." Like that's what Ohio State does to you, and so they Columbia has to win the doubles point. Otherwise, they're going to wind up in that same situation where it's like, oh, look, we we won three first sets. And then all of a sudden you've lost three straight set matches and a doubles point and you lost 4-0. Like it, if they win a doubles point, it's game on. But they probably won't. So. All right. Well, I just think it could be interesting. 4-1. I actually think it's a little it's a little tough for Ohio State to have to play the home team. That, that is true. Well, when the home team's good, it's tough to play the home team. Yeah. Even when the home team is not good, you look at Washington men, they win a doubles point against Ohio State last year. Yes, they're <laughs> not last year because it was oh, in Seattle, ago. but they, yeah, two it, years ago. It, yeah, they keep it competitive. Well, was is you know, was very good. Yeah. yeah. Uh okay, so Ohio State Columbia, that winner will face the winner of in our predictions, Tennessee versus Virginia. Are you going with Virginia in this match? I am. I am going with Virginia in this match, and in part, it's sort of look. This UVA draw could have gone very awry if they'd played a team that had pieces that I felt like could dominate UVA four through six. And I don't think Tennessee's that team, right? Like, I think right now, especially with Inyaki being questionable, right? You get to this point where you're like, okay, the top three is still very good. Like, Chris, Dylan, Jeffrey is still a very competitive top three. I mean, Chris and Jeffrey are playing in the position we expect them to be playing in. So, you have to beat them on four, five, and six to feel really good about it. I I just think for UVA, the doubles point looks good. I like Jeffrey on court three. I think I like Dylan on court two against Tennessee as well. The the Chris Monday match is super competitive, but it's like you look at five and six and you go, can you really count on Tennessee on five and six in this sort of match? I'm not so sure. So I, I think it's closer. I think I think this can be a very, very competitive match, and the doubles point will have a massive massive impact on the outcome but i'm going uva all right the uva bias on this podcast is too much so i'm going to go with tennessee i think that they get doubles and i think that their freshmen have looked good they look fine four through six and uva has looked worse than that in a lot of these matches so i think uh tennessee wins that match to face Ohio State. Let's flip back over to the other side. We both had Texas versus Wake Forest. I think Texas gets that gets through that pretty unscathed. Do you agree? Uh, yep, completely agree. If they win a doubles point, I think it's 4-0. And then we would have TCU versus South Carolina. I also think TCU gets through this one like a 4-1. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the TCU-South Carolina match gets interesting if Poole and Samuel win in straight sets. But and and it's it's not impossible, but I just I struggle to pick against JPJ there against Tool. So uh yeah, I'm gonna go TCU relatively comfortably. Even Fernley versus Samuel is a total toss-up. Like that's not a match if Fernley's gonna lose. Samuel's level with Samuel's level for the most part has been crazy. Like yeah. the match he played against Chris Radesh was nuts. Um so 
Yeah, it's not. Again, this is a rough go for Jake Fernley, by the way. Like, he's got a rough set of matches. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, man. Yeah, then he'll get Spaziri, who I feel like they were splitting splitting matches all yeah, playing I mean, sets. Talk about two guys that know each other. Yeah, like, absolutely. All right, so Ethan's going all chalk with his semifinals. He's got number one Ohio State versus number four Tennessee. That's more than you. Uh, okay, I think Ohio State gets through to the final, something that they haven't necessarily done uh, a lot over the past few years. You agree? Yeah, I do too. I mean, look, the Ohio State UVA match was not close. Uh, things only change here if Inyaki, uh, you know, finds his way back into the lineup. Yes, UVA played Ohio State without Chris Rodesh, but they weren't close enough on really three through six. Um, a lot of those matches will either be repeats or near repeats. So unless Inyaki also is back in the lineup, I just don't think it's a different enough matchup from what we saw a week and a half ago. So I think it's hard to not pick Ohio State there. Agreed. Texas TCU, they played four times last season. This will probably begin potentially their four meetings this season as well. Who do you like in this match? Texas 4-1. Yeah, wow, just, that's pretty dominant showing. Well, I think Texas, the, the meat of the lineup, which for me, that's courts three and four, I think is where Texas is just on a different level than a TCU. And I'm not sure with the level we've seen Micah Braswell play with the level we've seen Elliott play. It's safe to say that like, I think TCU wins a doubles point. That's it. Interesting. But, I definitely think TCU takes a doubles point. I just and, think Texas singles is so good, especially up top. And TCU is not a team that's going to like bully Texas on five and six either. Like if, if CM plays five and I get the sense that Cleve is probably going to play six. I think it's hard to pick against Texas on five and six against yeah. TCU. Max said has looked great, though. I will say very good indoors. Yeah. All right. So we're both picking an Ohio State, Texas final. I'm leaning Ohio State to take their first indoor title since 2019. What What do you say? Texas 4-2. Wow. Yeah. OK. I, I think, think they get it done. I think Texas drops a doubles point again. I don't know how many teams have lost consecutive double points in the semis and finals and won both matches, but Texas can do it. Um, and then I just, I like Texas on courts one, three, four, and I mean, frankly, one, two, three, and four. Like I, I like Texas on, I think five of the six singles courts. I like Texas. Even like, indoors. Like what makes you so confident in the Bailey bros indoors? Well, for one, I think part of it is the fact that like, I'm not as confident in JJ Tracy outside of Columbus as some people are. And I'm mm-hmm. not as confident about Canning Kingsley outside of Columbus as some people are. And by the way, God bless them if they prove me wrong, like go win both of your matches and do your thing. But it's like last year, the, uh, last year, I would say Ohio state was potentially in a better position to win this exact match against Texas because James Trotter was on that team, right? Like, and they didn't, why didn't they cannon lost a big match? Tracy lost a big match like those are those are two guys who yeah if if Cannon and Tracy show up and win on courts one and three or two and three whatever it is against Texas Ohio State's gonna win this match I just don't think they will like I I don't think they will and look Anthrop Anthrop and PYB is gonna be a it's gonna be a great match like there's no doubt about that I just I don't know I, I I get the sense with some of the Ohio State stuff is like it's a very different team outside of Columbus. And in Columbus, they are 
the behemoth of all behemoths. And if they host NCAs there, they'll never lose. Right. I just, I, I don't think they have the same aura about them outside of Columbus and they can go win indoors, but it's like, we've seen this Ohio state team be the one seed what every year since they've last won indoors and they haven't won indoors. So I, I I'm not as convinced on this cast of characters as I was on like the JJ Wolf cast of characters, but uh, I just think this Texas team has all the right stuff. And I think it's time Elliot wins something. Like, I, I think it's time that this Texas team gets one. Like, they, they've they earned it. I think they've flown under the radar as a result of losing an outdoor match to UVA. Like, we've discounted Texas because they lost a match outside. Like, it, it has no bearing, really, on this result. I think we've almost underrated Texas. Like, I, I think Texas could be the two seed. So, uh, yeah, I, I like Texas here. I just think they have too many opportunities at great shots on really all of the singles courts. And if they happen to sneak a doubles point, like there's no doubt in my mind, Texas wins. That would be the biggest shock of the entire tournament, though, because the Texas doubles point has looked. You you said you might have Columbia beating Ohio State. And now you're trying to tell me that you think the biggest shock of the of the tournament would be if Texas wins a doubles point against Ohio State. Give me a break. I didn't call Columbia over Ohio State. I'm just saying I look at that match. Me to call it. I mean, I think someone should. It would make them look real good once it happens. But with that said, (laughs) that is our men's indoor preview. I have Ohio State winning this, and uh, maybe Ethan is right uh, in his lack of trust in this cast of characters. I think they get it done here. Ethan is going with Texas pretty high on the depth of that. These guys are going to be in my Instagram DMs nonstop. If Ohio thought, watch, now that I said this, Ohio State's going to win indoors. Cannon is going to go undefeated and be named like the most outstanding player. Tracy's going to clinch and I'm going to get like the nastiest messages of all time. But look, that's what you want from this Ohio State team, right? Because they have a very, they're all seniors, they're seniors, they're fifth years. Like this would be. uh... For this cast of characters at Ohio State and and the cast characters at Texas, they're in very similar positions, actually, like. Absolutely. They're they're both sitting here going like, it's time for us to win indoors NCAAs, whatever. So yeah, go do it. You know, yep. they're, I think they're going to get a shot against each other. It seems to, it seems likely that they're going to play each other. So, you know, we'll see what happens. That is a good point. It does feel like they have been taking shots at UVA. UVA has been the middleman. Like let's see Ohio state and Texas go at it. We were, we're going to get that match outdoors as well. As you mentioned, Ohio State going on the road after indoors to Texas. So, want to talk about who you think is going to win that match? Not yet. We will probably have to preview that one. With that, that is our preview of men's indoors in New York. Kicks off 9 a.m. on Friday. You can catch all the action on the Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Alex Gruskin, Mike Cation on the call there. Always great to hear Mike's voice. So, let us know who you think wins men's indoors. And we will be back soon with another episode. Thanks, everyone. 